0: Hello Church Project family, my name is Jason, I'm one of the elders here at Church Project. Unfortunately, we had some issues recording the message on Sunday, so this will feel a lot more like a podcast than an actual message given at Church Project, but we still wanted to provide this resource for those of you who were not able to join us on Sunday morning and for those who might want to listen to this message again in the future. The text that we will be in this morning is Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise Of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. As we discussed last week, we spent this whole message on verse six. We, in a way, we skipped over verses four and five and we landed in verse six and we saw a call in verse three by the author Paul, a call to praise God, let praise be due his name. And that praise for Paul is something that flowed. ...from the reality of God's character, His being, being put on display. And we saw last week that God is dedicated to that glory. And the conclusion was that if God is ultimately about His glory, then we as His children should be about His glory. And we touched on just slightly last week how God's great act of salvation was ultimately about Him. And that we are beneficiaries of a God pursuing His glory. And we said... That we are beneficiaries of God who is trying to put his being and his character on display. And that means that all of who he is has a tangible expression. So God is doing all things, including saving sinners, so that his being and his character will be expressed and displays. And I and I chose to skip over verses four and five. Last week, and go straight into verse six, primarily for two reasons. And the first reason is that I think that it's helpful for us to consider the weight of verses four and verses five um, in the context that God desires for us to look at those things as being good for us, as being a blessing us, and and that's what's articulated at the end of verse 3. It says, He who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So the desire here from God is that we look at these verses, verses 4 and verses 5, as a way that God has blessed us, not as some debatable pastime, uh, not as some divisive topic, but as a way that God has expressed His blessing to us. And so as we walk into that, as we think about those verses, consider that God Desires for us to think about them as a blessing. And the second reason that we started with the glory of God was because I wanted to frame the conversation of election, the conversation of God choosing individuals and God predestining individuals with God's being and his character put on display. So we skipped over um, those two texts in a way last week, because I think that it's helpful for us to put those two ideas into context. And that context is first that God sees these as our blessing. And the second is that they are the means by which God is going to receive um, some of his glory. And so Hopefully, as we walk through these ideas, how significant both of these two things are, our blessing and God's glory, that we could see um, the intention behind Paul and ultimately God as he walks these things out for us. I, I shared that this was a hard message to prepare for. One of those reasons is that there's a lot of things to cover here in these texts, a lot of emotional baggage that's brought into the room. Um, and as I prayerfully consider what God wanted, um, us to leave behind in this message, there was a lot, there's a lot of things to talk about. And, um, the reality is everybody's in a different place around this issue. Historically, there's been a lot of issues around texts like this. It has broken, uh, many church families in a lot of different ways, but, um, The the opposite is also possible. It's also exciting to me as we think about these texts because I have seen great unity be built from um, difficult and challenging topics that are brought up in Scripture. And some of those, um, some of that excitement stems from the reality of the experience that my wife Emily and I had with this text. Um, before we were married, Emily and I um, spent some time studying through uh, the Book of Ephesians, and there were a lot of hard moments, a lot of initial uh, confusion, and a lot of tears. But. We both desired to be committed to God's word in our lives and and towards one another, and God blessed that in really significant ways. And, and it's largely um, as we look back on. Um, celebrating five years of marriage this week. Um, Some of the groundwork, a lot of the groundwork for why we are unified, the way that we're unified is because of this book. And so God um, can do something great here. And so it's my desire that God would use the book of Ephesians and specifically this text to help push us together as a church. And I think one of the ways that we need to be... um, cautious or to think about um, so that God might aid us in being pushed together is, is for our commitment to be unified in these texts, to seek unity in these texts. For a topic that's been branded as divisive, I want it to bring us uh, unity. I want it to be um, something that presses our church family together uh, as we uphold um, the holiness of God's word um, that we would also um with great intention hold on to our desire to be unified together as a family and uh, practically speaking i think that means being really patient and understanding that we're all in different places um in this text we all come uh, to this text with um, different experiences whether good or bad um and the reality is that that regardless of where we are, God's word is going to be continued to f- be faithful and to teach us um, different things. And that um, rub um, for God's word to polish us is going to polish us all in different ways, and to to be receptive towards the way that it's intended to polish you. And so, just a couple things to keep in mind as we go into these texts, ultimately that it's um, about our blessing. It's about God's glory, um, that we would be united in seeing that, um, that we would be unified in, in our patience and our love for one another as we go through these verses. So verse three, blessed be God. And that praise for Paul was fueled by Paul's understanding of what was God was doing in these texts. God was showing us the way that he's blessed us. And as, as he relays and shows us, he says, consider that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. And second, in love, he predestined us for adoptions as son through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So there's a lot of stuff that we could talk about here, a lot of important roads to walk down, lots of um, interesting side shoots to run off on. But right now, I just want as best as I can to chart a direct and simple path for us to walk down. The way that I think that that's most possible is just to simply share the way that I understand this text and then to give scriptural support for where I see uh, this interpretation in other places and then to spend some time this morning talking about why I believe we should desire for God's plan of redemption to be the way that I see it in these texts. So um, uh, give, again, give the interpretation, give scriptural support for that interpretation, and then step back, look at that um, from a distance maybe a little bit, and say, God, why would you desire uh, for us to desire that? So Ephesians 1, verse 3. God chose us in him being Jesus before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So in these texts, God has chosen people to be holy and blameless before him. And he did this choosing before the foundation of the world. So God, before the world was made, before any creature existed, and before your parents, 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 parents were formed, God chose to bless people in Christ, but he did not only choose, he also predestined them. Predestination means that something or someone was previously ordained or appointed to some position. So in these texts, Paul is saying that we are blessed in Christ, and that blessing in Christ was planned far before you might have thought, it was done before the foundation of the world, and God, in accordance with his will, saw fit to appoint to you the blessing of being appointed adopted into his family. So there's two difficult concepts as I see it in these verses and the first is that God is choosing, he is electing, his election. And the second difficult concept is that he has predestined. And these two texts, I, I see a connection between those two things, um, the election of God and, and predestination. And uh, the connection between those two verses or those two concepts is this, that God chose and the purpose, that he, the reason for why he chose in these texts is that we would stand before him holy and blameless. And the way that he is going to accomplish that, the way that he is going to be able to have us stand before him, holy and blameless, is that he has predestined us for adoption. If you consider this idea of adoption being brought into the family of God under the blessing of Jesus and what he has accomplished for us, we can see that that's the only way that God would be able to have us stand before him, a holy God, as holy as if we are adopted into his family. So God is going to be able to have a stand before him. Holy stand before him blameless because he has predestined us for adoption. So I believe that these texts affirm that God has chosen people to be holy. He's chosen people to be blameless. And the way that he has accomplished that is that he has predestined them for adoption And both of those things, God's election and his predestination, are in accordance with his will. God's will. In Greek, this word comes from the same root word as desire, intention, or purpose. So God has elected, and the way that he has carried out that is he has predestined. And he did all that because his desire, his intention, his purpose is the sole thing that led him to do it. So those, there's a lot of bold statements. There's a lot of bold ideas that were just talked about. So biblically, where do I see those ideas reinforced in Scripture? Just a couple of texts for the sake of time. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 9. As you're turning there, I want to give us some context for what um, you're going to see. Paul is the author of this book. He's the same author as the book of Ephesians. And he's writing to yet another group of believers similar to the to the audience in which the book of Ephesians is written to. And Paul is broken over the reality that he has fellow Jews that are not believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not experiencing the blessing that God promised Abraham that Abraham's descendants would experience. And Paul, knowing that God has promised the Jews blessing in verse 6 has has a question in his mind and in the in the mind of his audience that he's he's going to refute he's going to he's going to talk address, he's going to address that question and the question is well if if God promised to bless the the Jews all of the Jews and there's certain Jews that are not being blessed then then God must be unfaithful or God must not be doing what he said and and Paul in verse 6 says The opposite, he says, but it's not as though the word of God has failed. Okay, well, well, why not, Paul? Why hasn't the word of God failed? And and Paul says, uh, because for not all who have descended from Israel belong to Israel. So to clarify, God chose a man and his name was Abram. And God changed this man's name to Abraham, and he said to Abraham many different things, but one of the blessings that he um, gave to Abraham was that he was going to have a great nation and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. And so even all the way back in the Old Testament, God chose one man amongst men to bless a nation, and even within this nation, God has chosen a portion of that nation— To show that God has always had the purpose of election. And God continues through the writing of Paul to articulate that idea that. Characteristic of who God was. If you look at uh, verse 11 in Romans chapter 9, uh, God illustrates the purpose of election uh, as he talks about uh, the person of Jacob and the person of Esau. Verse 11, though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she as in the mother was told the older will serve the younger So God's purpose of election, God choosing, was not a result of foreseen worth, but was solely based in God's desire to choose. And Jesus affirms this teaching in the book of John, in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about the connection between the way in which the father draws people to Jesus and the response to those people that are drawn. He says that they come John 6 37 all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So Jesus is articulating the connection between the father drawing and the response of that drawing which is they come to Jesus. John 6, 65 says that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. John 15, 16 says that you did not choose me, but I chose you. God has elected individuals to stand before him, holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us for adoption, the way that he was going to accomplish our standing before him. And all of that is done because God desired it because he desires and he is dedicated to his being and his character put on display his glory. So if these things are true, if this idea of predestination and election are true, why should we not only believe them, but why should we embrace the idea that God is choosing and he is acting out in the idea of predestination and, In other words, if true, why in the world would we want those things to be true? Last week, we talked a lot about God and Him pursuing His glory. We only touched on the fact that God's love for God is what produces God's love for us. We said that for God to be on display, then all of who He is has tangible expression, that we are beneficiaries of Him. And so I want to take a couple moments and I want to talk a little bit more about Us being beneficiaries, us being blessed by God. Talk about God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ as the tangible expression into our lives because the reason we should want election to be true, the reason we should want predestination to be true, is because they are both at the heart of the gospel message. I was at a youth camp when I was younger. And there was a guy speaking, and towards the end of his talk, he was calling individuals to respond to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, to respond to what Jesus had done on our behalf. And he began to illustrate that response this way. He said, consider where you are right now if you don't know Jesus. It's as if you are treading water out in the middle of the Pacific, tirelessly holding on as you get smacked around by the waves, grasping for air crying out in the dark with no response, no hope of rescue. And then all of a sudden you hear the roar of an engine over the sound of the waves and you see a spotlight on the bow of a boat and you know who's on that boat. Jesus is on that boat. He is tirelessly shouting over the roar of the engine. Are you there? Can you hear me? Then seeing you, he quickly grabs a life preserver attached to a rope, and he throws it in your direction. It hits you in the face. Now all you have to do is grab that life vest. Will you grab that life vest today? It was a powerful illustration for me. But as I think about that illustration and I think about Scripture, I don't think that Scripture would articulate or back up that illustration Because biblically, apart from Jesus, we are in greater trouble than what I think that illustration describes. Although we may all be emotionally and physically tired, just like in this illustration, before we allow Jesus to save us biblically, we are told we are like dead men floating in the water, Ephesians 2 verse 1. Because as Romans 8, 6 says, for the mind set on the flesh is death. It's why Jesus said that the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and come to life, John five twenty five. It's why conversion is illustrated in the Bible as rebirth, John chapter 3. So the reality is we aren't treading water. We are floating lifeless. And not only are we dead apart from Jesus biblically, apart from Jesus, we are not able to understand the things of him, but in fact they are foolish to us, first Corinthians two, fourteen through sixteen. And we have no desire apart from Jesus to be saved, John three, nineteen through twenty one and Romans one eighteen. So why should we want election and predestination to be true? Why is election and predestination at the heart of the gospel? Because God had to do the saving. All pieces of it, from start to finish. If we believe the way the Bible articulates our condition without Jesus, then we aren't able to see the life preserver, let alone cause ourselves to come alive and grab it. We can't cause ourselves to respond. Dead people only have one response, and that's no response. We need our God to choose us. We need our God to cause life in us because apart from him, we can't and we won't choose him. So if you're listening and you've been brought from death to life and you've experienced what it means for Jesus to be your savior, let me illustrate the way in which Jesus saved you. You were floating adrift, a lifeless body being tossed to and fro by the waves of the Pacific, and your Jesus is leading the greatest rescue mission ever designed where he chose you and he's seeking you out to save you, Luke 19. And instead of throwing over a life preserver, which would only smack you in the head, he dove into the water. He grabbed your lifeless body, brought you back up onto the deck of the ship, and he breathed life into your lifeless body. And when you woke When you locked eyes with your Savior for the first time, you saw what you were and where you were. And now, being in the gaze of Jesus, you understand and see where you are, what you are now, and most importantly, where you are going. Listen to all the spiritual blessings that Paul says are yours because of what Jesus did on your behalf. Ephesians 1, verse 7. We have redemption through his blood. We have received all wisdom and insight. We have been reconciled. You have obtained an inheritance. We have been given hope. We have received the word of truth. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We have a guarantee of that inheritance. We have had our eyes open to the truth. We have experienced the greatness of His power at work in us. Chapter 2 of Ephesians, we have been given the greatest gift of mercy. We have been brought from death to life. We have been seated with Him in the heavenly places. We have known the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us. We have become His workmanship. We who were once far off have been brought near. We get peace as the wall of hostility is broken. We are promised access to the Father. We are fellow citizens with the saints in the household of God. We are being built into a dwelling place unto the Lord. And that is just two chapters of one book about the blessings that we receive from God because He has chosen and He has predestined us in Christ as He's pursuing His glory. Praise Him, church, because praise is due His name. Oh, how He loves you. Before you were created, before the foundation of the world, He put into action the things necessary to show you just how great His love is for you. So as you think about what your response should be to all this, maybe for you this is the first time you've heard discussion about this text or these things and it's overwhelming to you. Maybe you've talked a lot about them and it's still a little overwhelming to you. Maybe it's not overwhelming at all, but you just couldn't disagree more than what, was, than what was just said. Maybe for some of you, you're excited about seeing another facet of God's design of salvation for you. My prayer through all of this, through the preparation and the delivery, is that God and what he has done for you is really big to you. That we would walk away from this independent if we ever remember the idea of election or the idea of predestination. But that our view of God and his love for his church would be magnified to you right now. That we would consider along with Paul how great our God must be to go to such great lengths to grab our lifeless body, bring us from darkness into light so that we know, so that we might experience how he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So as we go out this week, as we go into house churches and we discuss this idea of election and this idea of predestination, may we be united in knowing what great compassion and love that our God has for us, that he would seek us out, rescue us, and take us home. What a creative God we have, a God who can pursue his glory and in so doing bless his children beyond imagination.